You're listening to Deeply Curious, a podcast about our ever-evolving philosophy of life and faith and the curious pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. In this episode, we're going to be talking about digital minimalism. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me, as always, is someone who's been practicing social distancing before it was cool, Sarah, (laughs) my wife, Jensen. Hi. Um, So we haven't put out an episode in a couple weeks, um, partly due to the fact that we moved from Portland to Oklahoma Mm -hmm. um, within that time period. Uh, Secondly, I don't know if you heard, but there's this thing called coronavirus going around that is uh, pretty bad, um, keeping everybody indoors and preoccupied. Yeah. And it just felt like weird to put out a podcast not talking about coronavirus, but also we didn't really want to add to the conversation of coronavirus. So we just didn't get out a podcast. (laughs) Right. Because it's mostly like, do we just not talk about it? But that seems weird. But then also, I what do I have to offer? Right. Like I'm not a infectious disease expert. Right. um, Nor do I think infectious diseases are political. So I have um, no opinion or right. thought to the, the offer. The opinion is, well, we'll just stay home like they're telling us to. Yes. But it felt really kind of, a, I think maybe insincere or something to not mention it. I don't know. It was really weird. So we just chose not to do it. Yeah. Um, but here we are um, recording this podcast in the middle of the, I guess, quarantine weeks. Yeah, we've been in quarantine in Enid, Oklahoma, which is where our parents live for eight days now and it's hard (laughs) we're we're currently transitioning to tulsa but the spot that we are looking at isn't available yet so we're having to hang out with our parents for a while (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we're not in our own place which just makes quarantine a little more difficult but we're making it we're doing it so for this episode um we want to talk about digital minimalism um, it specifically because I just uh, read a book called Digital Minimalism. Wow. Um, by Cal Newport. Cal Newport is a, I would say, a modern day like philosopher, um, just d- deep thinker. Deep thinker about um, how we spend our time and technology. Um, so maybe like a technology ethicist or something. I don't know what title yeah, he like gives himself, but things on social. Oh. I was going to say social issues, but that's a political thing. Right. So uh, Cal Newport's um, biggest book to date, I believe, would have been uh, Deep Work. And Deep Work was came out and essentially argued that scientifically and in practice, um, we spend way too much time uh, task switching. Mm-hmm. And if we do not actually give ourselves long periods of deep work time, mm-hmm. then we will never do deep work. And we will also never do anything of immense value because you can't get into that rhythm of, you know, fi- getting into your own brain and right. letting it like create something. If we are constantly switching back and forth between email and other, th- you know, just so back, back and wait, forth, he back was back. the one who was like kind of an argument against multitasking, right? Oh, okay. I didn't realize that was him. Yes. So that was his last book, Deep Work. And then he, um, after he wrote Deep Work, he um, was touring the country with the book and he was talking to people. And one of the things that kept coming back, uh, you know, 
to him from his readers was um, their digital life and how their digital lives are taking over mm-hmm. who they are. And they can't even, they are behaviorally addicted mm-hmm. to technology to the point where they can't even get to the point of deep work because of. Right, which we are <clears throat> all aware that that's us. <laughs> right. So because I just read the book and this is what I was going to talk about, about anyway, and because we are all supposed to be in quarantine, mm-hmm. um, that for the next few weeks, um, maybe the minimum es- estimates are saying around eight weeks that we will be in this kind of state of basically quarantined, Suspension. very little, very little uh, time outside of the home. No big gatherings for sure. Right. Yeah. So there is in this time, um, us as Americans specifically, and I would imagine most people around the world, we are transitioning from a time of having lots of money, um, but very little time into a new season of having lots of time, but maybe very little money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a perfect recipe for people to sit around on their screens day in and day out, just waiting for this to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want, I'm challenging myself to not do that. Right. Um, because I think that this is a opportunity um, within tragedy um, to reset cultural norms Mm -hmm. and it could be a worldwide um nationwide but at the very least could be a personal Mm -hmm. um realignment of what we value as people um and a realignment of who we are what we spend our time on and essentially just a kick in the butt Mm -hmm. of getting out of that rhythm Mm -hmm. that we've been stuck in for so long and now that we have all this additional time, we have an opportunity to use that time for personal development and personal right. growth and becoming the people that we've been wanting to become. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we have literally no excuse. <laughs> mm-hmm. But one thing I want to talk about before we get into the book specifically, mm-hmm. um, more in line with what we're talking about now, is our response in this season. Right. Um and I don't, I don't mean like there's lots and lots of conversations happening right now of like fear versus love, which I think are all beautiful and worthwhile conversations, but there are many people having those conversations. Right. And so I do think that if we are in agreement that we should respond in love and not fear, um, you know, that we take this time uh, for opportunity and some language that I recently learned from a phenomenal um, business guy in, in Tulsa is there is basically two extremes, um, two extreme responses. And he was not talking specifically about the COVID-19 pandemic, more so on just to talk about cultural sensitivity at large. But I think it, 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 I mean, I've been thinking about it in context to everything in life. And I think it is so poignant in this moment that we have the option for two responses as this is happening. We can go to the bare minimum that is required and we can follow a legal obligation Mm -hmm. and if you just wait for a legal obligation then you aren't taking the any responsibility for yourself 
And ultimately, you are not um, doing the opposite of a legal obligation and taking an opportunity, a leadership opportunity to to do it for yourself for the love of others because a legal obligation is waiting until you are personally forced to do something and a leadership opportunity is is not waiting and you choosing to do something out of love for others and yourself um, but ultimately you're doing this in response to um, protect those who are vulnerable to you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but then in what in this conversation you have the uh, the opportunity for legal obligation of staying at home and just sitting here, you know, because mm-hmm. you're forced to, or the leadership opportunity that you can say, I need to stay home because that is what is best for one myself and my family, but also for those who are in the world and are and out there because there's no telling of what contact I have given, so I should stay home. And within this opportunity of staying home. I have much more time on my hands and can spend that time doing something that ultimately after eight weeks is going to embedder my existence. Right. I think, um, for example, so this is, again, we're going into our second week of staying home. And the first week that we were here, it took me five days to like, figure out a rhythm, (laughs) I guess. I was like, it's not that I was wasting my time. I was trying really hard not to, you know, but I mean, it's, it's kind of like a detox situation. You know, you go into this all new situation that is just throwing your sleep schedule off and your everything off. And so I was just kind of like sitting around trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my time. (laughs) And then, um, and just sort of like detoxing from not running around, you know, and and it was even like simple stuff. Like I'm a pretty chill person, generally speaking, but I like to go to coffee shops and sit for hours, you know, at a time and whatever. And I couldn't do that. And so it felt like I was, I felt so like unproductive sitting at home, even though I would have been doing the same thing as sitting at a coffee shop reading or trying to write something or whatever, but I felt so unproductive because I was at home. And so I sort of just wasted five days. But then Friday, I woke up still late. I'm not on my regular sleep schedule right now, but I'm trying. Um, I woke up a little late, but I I, um, sat down to journal because I hadn't journaled since we moved. And I was like, this is really bad. And I don't have anything to say, but I, I know that I should journal anyway. So I sat down and I journaled. And then after I journaled, I exercised because somehow I had like so much more mental space than I did like two hours ago. <laughs> so I exercised and then I made a healthy lunch. And then I wrote uh, an article for a friend. And then I, I just, it was so productive. It's the most productive I felt in a really long time. Because now all like if you're just it's just that you just have to put in new practices and then like the results will come. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so and also we're doing this podcast, which I haven't felt motivated to do (laughs) in like a month. So I don't know. It's just it's just nice Mm -hmm. to break the rhythms and create new ones. Yeah. So I guess just piggybacking off that. um breaking old rhythms and creating new rhythms. I think that this is an opportunity for self-reflection mm-hmm. um, and contemplation. And that is something that we have 
been neglected and been neglecting as a culture for decades. Yeah, forever. For especially the last decade, it is something that has been stolen from us, the ability to sit and contemplate and think about our our lives outside of ourself and right. to think about the things that we're doing and wh- whether or not they are worthwhile. Um, and you will go crazy the first couple of days when you start sitting and thinking and reflecting because your brain isn't used to it. Right. It goes um, through withdrawal. Right. Um, which, uh, again, great segue into the book Digital Minimalism. Um, the book opens up talking about um, how it is an unfair arms race because um, we feel as though as humans, mm-hmm. um, and especially Americans, mm-hmm. we feel as though we are autonomous creatures and that we are, um, you know, in charge of our own life. We have our own free will, right. et cetera, et cetera. And we have autonomy yeah. in our life. And the problem is we have freely given away our autonomy to um, digital, especially social companies mm-hmm. Um unbeknownst to ourself we thought we were uh being rebels we thought we were like yes new technology this is going to make my life so much better these the increases in my life are worth every sacrifice i am making to be a part of these services to spend all my waking hours on a screen but at the end of the day it's an unfair arms race because these companies are specifically writing their software to hack our brains Mm -hmm. into spending as much of our attention on their product than we do anything else. Mm -hmm. So the point is within the the intro of the book is that we need to start looking at ourselves and and looking at our digital uh, lives um, more deeply and more with more awareness because if you do not look at your digital life with awareness, you cannot fight against mm-hmm. the status quo. Right. And it feels as though that getting off the internet or deleting a social app or you know anything like that is actually crazy um, because it is so ubiquitous in our culture and in our nation, in our world, that it feels like that cr- only crazy people do that. Mm-hmm. But people who are on the other side of that who have deleted the social apps and, and can see the world uh, again, mm-hmm. Digital minimalists see everyone else as crazy for willingly giving so, so, so much of their time away Mm -hmm. to something that brings very, very little value. Right. And so if you want to be a rebel, if you want to break the status quo um, and stand up against like uh, basically big agenda, um, it would actually be getting off of social media, not and don't hear me wrong uh, that I'm kind of trying to succinctly say the idea of an entire, you know, 280 page book. Right. Um, it is not about abandoning social media. Right. Abandoning social media, abandoning technology. It, that isn't the answer because they do bring certain values, but we greatly overvalue what it is bringing into our life to the point where we feel like if we put it down for an hour, we're missing out. Right. Whenever the reality is, if you test it, you will realize it only gives you about 30 minutes to an hour's value a week. And we are, we are beyond social media mm-hmm. for five hours a day. Right. Whenever we're actually only extracting about an hour's worth of a value. Right. And we're, the rest of the time is an advertiser who has 
uh, hacked our brains into feeling as though that social validation loop is necessary to get the value out of the service. Mm -hmm. But um, I'll read a couple highlights out of the introduction. Um, So... We talk about the problem with this frenzied activity of, you know, checking and checking and checking. It's less about its details than the facts that it's increasingly beyond our control. Few want to spend so much time online, but these tools have a way of cultivating behavioral addictions. The urge to check Twitter or refresh Reddit becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. Hmm. Which in that sentence, that is what we kind of opened up the podcast with talking about the deep work mm-hmm. in that um, social media and these these urges to check everything, they yeah. shatter uninterrupted time into little shards. I can, I mean, just as an example from my own life, I can clearly see that when I'm reading a book mm-hmm. because I love reading. It's like the only thing I live for, but I can't go more than an hour without my brain going, oh, I wonder what Instagram's doing. Even though I... I personally don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> or I, I think I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whenever I think of it, I'm like, I'm literally in the middle of this really cool story. Why am I thinking about Instagram? But I can't stop thinking about it until I check it. Mm-hmm. And then I go back to my book. Right. And which what, is absurd. And <laughs> what, um, what you don't realize in the moment, because we obviously don't take the time to think about that situation at a higher level, but the value Mm-hmm. that you got out of checking Instagram was far less than the value would have been staying in the book right. longer. Um, because if you would have stayed in the book longer, obviously you could have like right. kept up your rhythm and you could have been more involved, more lost in the, the book, story. deeper into the story. Um, and that little, you know, that little hit that you got from like, oh gosh, I need to check, I need to check, I need to check. And then you check it that was actually detrimental to what you actually value. Right. Because what you actually value is to read a book. Right. You don't care about Instagram. So it's that is the definition of addiction, which is quoted in, in the book as addiction is a condition in which a person engages in the use of a substance or a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue the behavior despite detrimental consequences. Right. And... That is the the thing with online life is that we continually do it, even though it doesn't actually support the things that we ultimately value. Right. There are so many people. I mean, if you ask anyone on earth, they're going to tell you that they don't value binge watching Netflix. That's not what they want their life to be about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that's what every single one of us does. (laughs) Yeah. One uh, more quote from the introduction is the irresistible attraction to screens is leading people to feel as though they're ceding more and more of their autonomy whenever it comes to deciding how they direct their attention. Mm. No one, of course, signed up for this loss of control. They downloaded the apps and set up accounts for good reasons, only to discover with grim irony that these services were beginning to undermine the very values that made them appealing in the first place. They joined Facebook to stay in touch with friends across the country and then ended up unable to maintain an uninterrupted conversation with a friend sitting across the table. Yeah, that's such a an apparent uh, example of like everyone says, well, I, I'm on social media so I can keep up with my friends. I mean, I say that because I am. I mean, 
I definitely don't keep Facebook for any reason except for my family's on it. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but like how many times do you check social media in an hour conversation over coffee with a friend that you've been trying to see for a few, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's so uh, frustrating because it's, it feels so impossible to stop, you know? Right. Yeah. Because the, we are to the point in our culture where to not engage in these activities on a regular Mm -hmm. daily, like almost constant basis is weird. Right. Well, and it also not just is weird, but I do think there's some sort of, there's maybe even a lot of FOMO in it. Right. You know, you're not on Twitter, so you don't see the funny memes. Mm -hmm. You're not on TikTok, so you can't see the new dances that everyone is making. You know, like there's just so much that's like that you actually miss out on or that you feel Mm -hmm. that you miss out on culturally that, um, at least for me, I mean, I've tried to delete my Twitter a million times because I don't care about Twitter and I don't tweet and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I don't delete it because it, there's actually really funny memes that I find on Twitter that I don't find anywhere else. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I have gotten to the point where I only check Twitter on my computer. But but it's just like one of those things that there's such there's such a case of FOMO with mm-hmm. it, I think, too. Yeah, one of the principles that, that Cal has in the book um, talks about basically the arguments that you, you're you bringing up, one, mm-hmm. for yourself. Every single one of us, when we talk about, well, maybe I should just delete Twitter. Maybe I should just delete Facebook. Right. Maybe I should just delete Instagram. Maybe I should just delete the internet. Maybe I should just, mm-hmm. you know, go live in the woods. Like the, uh, <laughs> the, we end up coming up with these excuses like, well, but there's these super funny memes on Twitter that I really like. Right. Well, I've made X connection, Y connection. I've met these people. I've, I've mm-hmm. like been able to do these connections. And then, like, I mean, which are really actually really good reasons. Like, right. obviously funny memes, there is value in that. Right. But. I mean, there are real excuses, like hardcore valid excuses of, right. I mean, I met my spouse. I met like these people that. Well, I mean, we can like, even say that. We got know. connected with um, a bunch of people in New York because of Twitter. Right. I mean, that's just yeah. how it works. And you can use all of these things as excuses, you know, right. f- for not getting, for not spending less time on it because you never know what value you may extract out of it. Right. The problem with that thinking is, that is exactly how a gambler thinks in, in a you right. only with your example mm-hmm. with finding a funny meme on Twitter. What is the percentage of times that you get on Twitter mm-hmm. and go away feeling exhausted or disappointed or angry or mm-hmm. you know whatever versus the moments that you see a, the funny dog video and laugh? Like the amount of times that you see the funny dog video and laugh is way less than the detrimental effects that it has on your life right. whenever you spend too much time on it. Right. So you have to actually put into place, like with you, for instance, you said, you know, you like Twitter because you find the, you see these really funny memes that you don't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It brings value to your life in that way. But if you were to sit down and say, how much time, how much, how many hours per week do you think at, in my life I should devote to you know, finding funny internet jokes mm-hmm. to laugh at, you know, mm-hmm. like as an escape for, or, or to retell other people because I really enjoy it. Like how many hours would I want to put to that a week? Right, right. And if you actually wrote it down, you'd be like, you know, I, I'm just making something up. Like, well, that's- I don't, So trivial. Yeah, it's so trivial, maybe 30 minutes, an hour. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and then you look at the fact that you're actually spending 
30 minutes to two hours on Twitter a day Mm -hmm. in search of that hit, in search of that laugh, in search of that little thing. But you are so rarely getting the result you expected when you showed up. Right. But occasionally you do, which is exactly what a gambler would say in that occasionally I get a jackpot occasionally and most often even like getting a jackpot is even rare. Usually you just win a couple hundred bucks. Right. Occasionally you, you win. But most at at the end of the day, you are a net negative. Like you went home with less money than what you started with, even though you won a couple of times. Right. And that's the problem with a lot of these excuses is that we give excuses for spending exorbitant amount of time on the internet and on our screens. Right. When in reality, if we actually spent the required time to achieve the goals that we want out of social media, mm-hmm. it would be far, far, far less. Right. Um, even if it was, you know, you, one one principle that he talks about is, you know, um, just schedule it. Even if it is that you think it brings so much value that you want to schedule three hours a day, that is more helpful than just right. than just be having no schedule. Because once you say like, okay, I think that this is worth three hours of my day every day. Whenever it comes time, you know, at seven thirty or whatever, you say like, that's the end of my three hours um, at night, and you go do something else. The value that you get out of doing the other things that that you care about. Um, well, it goes starts to it starts to change in your mind. Oh wait, I actually get more out of these things I'm doing offline mm-hmm. than the things that I'm doing online, and so you start to naturally reduce the amount of time that you're spending scrolling online or watching Netflix or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it also goes back to his conversation about multitasking, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, his whole in deep work, the whole thing is multitasking actually produces less quality work on all accounts. Mm-hmm. So if you schedule out your social media time you get more more quote unquote more Mm -hmm. quality right and then you put it up and you go do this other work and you get more quality out of that because you're not thinking about anything else right so even if you're still doing three hours a day but you're scheduling it it's kind of like deep work principles yeah because it's like you know one principle he gives is like let's say you do schedule those three hours it's more freeing to your mind mm-hmm. because if you want to watch Netflix, scroll Twitter on your iPad, um, look at Instagram on your phone and, you know, uh, text a friend on your other device, mm-hmm. like all at the same time. And you want to just like go all in on like screen time, which is what I do. It's that <laughs> it's like th- it, you don't have to feel bad about that. Right. Because you scheduled. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do all the screens. And yeah, you, I, probably like what once a week i turn on like it's some rom-com or cheesy movie type vibe that i don't have to like pay super close attention to and then i scroll pinterest and then i text people on my phone the whole time i'm doing all three at once mm-hmm. <laughs> probably once a week on average but it, what he's saying is that if you if that is something you value like that's just you you think that at the end of that time mm-hmm. you come out of that time with um, extracting value, regardless if it is a value from the content that you're watching mm-hmm. or value from a just a brain like. It's you know. really just so that I can 
not think about anything. It's, right. It's, it's an just escape. A, yes. Yeah. And if you think that the that escape that you scheduled for those three hours was ultimately worth it, mm-hmm. then just continue doing it. But it's the problem is whenever we do that just all of the time because right. these because these companies have specifically engineered their products to um, tap into our paleolithic brain and make us feel as though every single time one of those little red dots pops up, that, right. that's somebody in our social circle smiling and winking and saying, hey, I see you. And then whenever we say, whenever we feel that, hey, I see you, you're my friend. We're like, yes, I'm a part of the social circle. I, I, I am engaged within a tribe because mm-hmm. we are all ultimately tribal people in, in our most primitive brain. And so we, they hack that part of us. Right. And into where we feel as though we need to continually, continually, continually be engaged with it. Because if we do not respond to those people in a timely manner, that is a social snub in our brain. Right. Like if we don't text them back within right. 10 minutes or something. Which is specifically more in texting, but even in social media, we like, we have that, we want to check it because we, we, we feel good. We right. think we feel good whenever we, um, I mean, we are part of a social you know, circle if somebody responds to your story and right. you know, whatever. Um, but it, our brains cannot tell the difference between a, a text and a person who's sitting across from the table from you. Right. So you're sitting across from the table from someone who your goal is to connect. Like right now, you are sitting across from them. You're um, you partic- participating in the the social circle. You're adding value. You are mm-hmm. like you're reading the facial expressions. You're having the conversation. Like your brain is working on this whole social tie, which is obviously way more value than texting someone. Mm-hmm. But a text comes in and you feel your pocket vibrate while you're in a deep conversation. And now your brain is telling you, hey, somebody just called out your name and you're ignoring them. Mm-hmm. Hey, somebody's trying to get you know in touch right. with you and you're ignoring them. Do not ignore them because if you do, you're socially snubbing them and they may be mad at you and then you may be not be in the social circle and then you may be outcast. You need to check it, you need to check it, you need to check it, you need to check it. Uh-huh. And so then you pull it out and you check it and you start you you forget that there's another human being right you're snubbing them directly across from you yeah and you are now on your phone like engrossed into a screen because it immediately takes over your brain like it's insane how mm-hmm. as soon as you start like texting or being on the phone how you forget that you exist in a physical world you truly do go to a like a different place yes you you are not I mean, that's why, for like an example, that's why walking on the sidewalk and somebody gets a text, they stop in the middle of the sidewalk right in front of you is mm-hmm. because they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not on the they, sidewalk. <laughs> they teleported somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but the point of that is those are two different things. Right. Somebody texting you and somebody sitting across from you, the value of those two interactions are the person in front of you, that is a high quality interaction. That is Mm -hmm. a high quality time. Right. A text is a low quality interaction and low quality time, but our primitive brain does not tell the difference. We we have to find a way to teach ourselves the difference. And the the only way to teach yourself the difference is one of basically Cal's uh, first um, suggestion Mm -hmm. for how to become a digital minimalist and uh-huh. regain autonomy of your own life is to go through a social, go through a, 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 a detox. Oh, um, yeah. 
And so it's so hard. It is very hard. <laughs> but it is not that you're going to give everything up forever. Right. But give everything up for at least 30 days. Right. Um, you know, get completely get rid of social media, like, you know, just delete the apps, you know, don't check them, whatever. Um, I'm sure there's some Does things he that I'm missing. Like movies and stuff like TV screen as well as phone screen. Do you know? Um, this is mostly about social media. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, I mean, it's probably just generally good practice to give up all screens because you're just going to replace it with another screen. Right. So, so the digital detox is what he calls it. Mm-hmm. Detox from screens at all. I'm yeah. pretty sure uh, that that was in the beginning of the book and I've been reading yeah. it for a few weeks. But the digital detox, I do believe, yes, does include movies, does include like all of I that mean, stuff. I mean, I know I would just um, replace my Instagram time with movies. Right. And so we'll go, I'm going to come back to another principle within this, but so you give it up for 30 days and within that 30 days, what it does is helps you retrain your brain to realize that, um, you know, obviously you may not be able to give up texting for 30 days um, or like, you know, phone calls for 30 days, but you can give up all the rest of stuff. It's all extraneous, but you know, communication, um, you know, with work, with family, with friends, like that that is all value like right. there's not that you're giving that up what what you are giving up is the constant um need to text me- to check the text messages right. and what you can do is uh put your phone on do not disturb always mm-hmm. and say i check my text messages twice a day three times a day right. whatever just like they suggest you do with email at work right yeah um and what you do is you end up training your brain and not necessarily training your brain it is so that your consciousness comes to the realization mm-hmm. that I don't need to text people back immediately right. in order for me to remain their friend. Right. Like a text message is a low value um, uh, social interaction. You know, interaction. It's a low value interaction. So if, if they need you, if they need your response within the next two seconds, they'll call you. Right. Um, maybe not in the, immediately because you also have to uh, train others in how you operate because most likely those around you are operating within the social norm and expect that if you are not available within text messaging within 30 seconds, then like what's, what's going on? Where's your phone? Why aren't you responding to me? Right. But you have to openly communicate what your rules of life are. (laughs) And I mean, essentially it's like if you are, if you're changing your habits completely and you're going from somebody who is always texting and you always respond back quickly and then you immediately shift to you're rarely texting and you're only responding a couple times a day, that could be an actual um, perceived social snub to somebody right. you're close to. So could you need to have those conversations and say, hey, I'm doing something. I'm doing a digital detox. I'm only going to text back at noon and at 5 p.m. And, you know, right. it's whatever. just adult communication yes yeah yeah it's just adult <laughs> communication but anyways the point is do the digital detox and um for 30 days for 30 days and it is to so that you will one if you have a behavioral addiction mm-hmm. I, I can confidently say that if you live in america you have a behavioral addiction um <laughs> we all do um and within that you can go through withdrawal 
Right. And you can come out the other side and realize that it is not as important as you thought it was. You can live without it. Also, the world can live without you, mm-hmm. which is huge because mm-hmm. we all feel as though if I'm not contributing to the world, then how is the world supposed to go on? But you, right. it it's also, the way for all of us to have our voices heard. Right. And, but you realize how small you actually are and that it doesn't matter if you provide your voice and actually your voice is more noise than it is anything. It's a bit of a um, bruise to the ego, but it's important to go yes. through. <laughs> um, we're all way too <laughs> self-confident that our, our voices need to be heard. So there's that. But this the most important thing um, is you could read a hundred books on this subject and they will all tell you to do a digital detox. Mm-hmm. They will also all tell you to, you know, set up certain times to, mm-hmm. you know, check things. Like that is nothing new. Um, but what Cal has done is through the years of, of writing this book, he has done a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of surveys to um, essentially, not quite scientifically, but anecdotally mm-hmm. prove that the best ways um, to, you know, make the transition into being a digital minimalist isn't to just detox because after that 30 days of digital detox, you will realize this is so much better. Mm -hmm. I I enjoy my life more. I have so much more time. I can do all these things that I like, you know, blah, 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 blah. But as soon as you get back on, Mm -hmm. you go right back and almost. It's just like diets. It can almost be worse Mm -hmm. where you, you get back on and you just go crazy mm-hmm. and you really like within- because you're so because you're quote unquote not addicted anymore right but but you actually are still addicted mm-hmm. because that's what addiction is it's right. not you don't just break it and still be able to just i mean if you are a drug abuser you don't just like go back to drugs and do it casually like mm-hmm. that's that's not how it works that's not how your brain functions and this is no different right so the thing that he suggests in here that he has seen from his, you know, evidence is to, you need to replace that time with high value things. Mm-hmm. So essentially, uh, he goes into that we need hobbies. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm such a huge advocate for hobbies for adults. Yes. And I think I think we should definitely get in that conversation and get your opinion on mm-hmm. adults having hobbies. Um, but what he says about it in the book is we have to um, bring high quality leisure into our life to replace mm-hmm. these things so that we realize that what we are missing, because if we just replace the screen time right. with just space, nothing, nothing. <laughs> Then, then there there wasn't a new habit formed that you realize brings more value to your life than than anything else. So you're right. like, well, I'll just go back to screens. So his leisure lesson number one is prioritize demanding activity over passive consumption. Yes, okay. Um, because it's essentially the argument that we as a society have just lost sight of craft. Yeah. And we are no longer people who are craft people mm-hmm. um that we we don't we don't try to learn a craft and be and be perfection at that yeah and one uh quote that i really love is he's talking about uh, a guy who wrote a book um called handmade and basically he goes into this uh, argument that we need to get back to using our hands mm-hmm. because that 
just getting away from screens. You know, there are high quality activities on on a computer screen. You know, if you are a computer coder or you're like building an app or something like that, all of those things are crafts. Like they take high skill. Like right. you can't just like pick up a computer and start coding. Right. Like you're gonna have to learn and perfect it and become a master craftsman within that. But there's something to be said about getting off of a screen and becoming doing a craft with your hand mm -hmm. for some reason that provides an additional value that you don't get when you're on a screen and two things that i really love that he said um the guy who wrote a handmade um said long ago we learned to think by using our hands not the other way around which mm -hmm. i think is so good mm -hmm. that like we don't learn to use our hands by thinking right like we start using our hands and we start making things and we start digging in the dirt and and that's how we come to revelation right yeah um and then uh, later on on this page he says craft makes us human and in doing so it can provide deep satisfactions that are hard to replicate in other dare i say less hands-on activities mm. and so just making the argument that scientifically making the argument like giving the, the reason this book is almost 300 pages long is because these all of these principles are very simple and can be basically uh wrapped up in in like one chapter mm -hmm. but providing evidence upon evidence upon evidence anecdotally scientifically mm -hmm. on that these principles are real these things will lead to a m deeper more satisfied life right um and evidence that uh the life that we are currently living is leading us down a path that i don't think most of us want to be on right um so craft and becoming hobbies. people who have hobbies <laughs> i'm a big proponent of hobbies mostly because i realized um i don't know how many several years ago that i had lost my hobbies hmm. and i didn't like that and so i started thinking about why I've lost my hobbies, et cetera. And it kind of goes to the um, passive activities versus demanding ones. I think, right. well, there's two things. Whenever you become an adult, obviously you have more responsibilities. You have to pay the bills, et cetera, et cetera. And for some reason, we come to the conclusion that if it doesn't make us money, it's not worth doing. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then second, I do think there's something to be said about um, – at least in America, we feel like it's not worth doing if we can't be best. Mm -hmm. And so because of those two things, everything that falls in those categories, we just let go, um, which is stupid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because like I was texting uh, my friend the other day about you know, being quarantined and, and how for the first like five days I was like really struggling to like figure out what I should do with my life now and all that stuff. And, um, I mean now as in, because I'm stuck at home mm -hmm. and, um, and then I just like had this realization that I was like, you know what? I just realized that I actually like writing something and putting it somewhere like, because I haven't been putting any writing anywhere because there's no consequence to put it on a blog because who reads blogs and you know mm -hmm. like all this stuff and so I just wasn't I wasn't putting anything I would like write it in my notebook but then I wouldn't go back and edit it and I wouldn't go back and work on it because it was for nothing mm -hmm. you know I was like well these are just my thoughts so that's great mm -hmm. and then I was like I actually like 
working on a piece to like put it somewhere. So even though there's a, it's of no consequence and nobody's ever going to read it, I think I'm going to like challenge myself to put a blog post up once a week or whatever I said. And she was like, well, the thing is though, is that it's of every consequence if it makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to write a blog post about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like the idea that we think because other people aren't going to see it, that it doesn't matter. Right. But that's so, so not true. Right. Like it couldn't be further from the right. truth. Because in our um, Western and American context, we have been um, basically, uh, things have been perverted to the point where now we believe that the purpose of work is to take home a paycheck and that the purpose of doing anything, the purpose of going, the purpose right. of giving our life away to a craft is so that we can earn money. Right. We are much more interested i think in success than we are what we're doing Mm -hmm. we're much more interested in finding success in a certain realm even if it's not exactly what we Mm -hmm. love to do or or whatever even you know what i'm i'm not trying to be like uh judgmental but we care much more about success than we do about a craft Mm -hmm. and so we'll kind of compromise right whatever we're doing so that it makes us more money yeah capitalism has um told us and made us believe that um work is an is a means to an end instead of the end in itself right but work itself is the purpose right the 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 showing up using your hands and doing something of purpose and of value every day is of way more importance than any paycheck could be at the end of the day right Um, And, and and that is why it is more important to do what you love and you're passionate about and that brings you like that like value and um deep satisfaction doing every day Mm -hmm. than doing something that could make you an extra k a year right right i think um well i i think you can't get it confused because it's not all about hustle like, it's, you know what we're saying, like, it's not about hustle. It's not about working and working and working yeah. and working, but it is about not being idle. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is something to be said about that sitting down passively in front of a screen is so detrimental to your health, not only your physical health, but your mental health and everything else. Like mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't provide you the life that you, when you, sit down and truly ask yourself, what life do I want? Mm -hmm. It is not that. Mm -hmm. It just isn't. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, we can't not do it. And I think also there's this thing that I've been thinking about for maybe a few months that you and I were having a conversation about. I am very nostalgic for decades past Mm -hmm. (laughs) for times that I did not exist, (laughs) particularly the 60s and and uh, maybe the fifties in some ways, but mostly the sixties and seventies. And, um, just because it feels like, uh, you know, the heroes of that time are the artists and, Mm -hmm. um, it feels like the artists of that time were truly just trying to make art and not find success in the way that we define it now, you know? And so I've been thinking about this a lot, not trying to be mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought all the way through it, so don't judge me on any of my comments on this podcast. Anyway, I said this line that I wrote down because I want to figure out a way to write about it, but I was talking about 
Jack Kerouac in On the Road and how he had no money and he, but he just knew that he needed to go on this road trip and like discover things and write something from it and you know like mm-hmm. he just knew that he needed to do it and so he he was uncompromising in his belief of going and he was uncompromising in his art and so he ate what he could while he was on the road he ate cheese sandwiches literally cheese and bread Mm-hmm. disgusting like <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's all he ate and he you know slept in cars and just did what he could do to go across the country like he felt like he needed to do and i said like he was uncompromising in his art and i feel like our generation is only uncompromising in our lifestyle and in doing that we compromise everything else mm-hmm. and i feel like like that's kind of what we've done in regards to like hobbies and things and and making money, finding mm-hmm. quote unquote success. And so, I don't know, I just feel like we're so uncompromising in the lifestyle we want to lead that we just compromise our character and our work and our art and our mm-hmm. relationships and everything. We, char- we compromise everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's my whole argument for having hobbies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that uncompromising within our lifestyle is, I mean, so true and so poignant within the artist community of, you know, our generation, um, but is also applicable to the season we are in with COVID of that we are, as a generation, as a culture, we are mm-hmm. so uncompromising in our lifestyle that instead of listening to the, you know, most renowned infectious disease expert right and to stay home and to practice social distancing mm-hmm. and to just realize that somebody has been studying this for decades and decades and decades and now that it's happening we should listen to their expertise mm-hmm. instead of listening to politicians like they train their whole like, life for this right <laughs> because we are so addicted to our lifestyle and so uncompromising in our lifestyle that we will justify anything and everything right? until we are given the legal obligation, the right. lowest common denominator of, of action. Right. If, you, if your action is, um, if you only do an action right. because you were compelled to by a legal obligation, that is the depth of your character. Mm-hmm. The depth of your character is a legal obligation, bare minimum, right. versus a leadership opportunity that is the depth of your character if you take the leadership opportunity to be wise make wise decisions and do things that are counter cultural to your own lifestyle Mm -hmm. your own people group you know your own you know uh, it's baffling to me that i have to say political beliefs whenever we're talking about a something that kills a pandemic (laughs) anybody and everybody regardless of any classification system right um but you step outside there and become a person who is willing to say, I love my life, but I also love all lives and I'm right. willing to trust that this person who's an expert has knows what they're saying. Knows what they're saying. And I'm willing to be to compromise my lifestyle a little bit mm-hmm. so that maybe pe- some people won't die. Mm-hmm. Like if I said, you know, gave you the the uh, um basically the scenario like a a, a moral dilemma mm-hmm. of like um how many people would have to die to keep you from going 
to that party. Right. Like, is it one person would keep you, mm -hmm. two people? Mm -hmm. You're like, but what if it's five people you'll never meet and never knew? Right. Um, or one person who's at the party? Right. Like, does it matter? Right. You know, it's like, there are all of these things. And so I implore all of us to look at our lives this way, that we have, we all have opportunity to be wise to, we have an opportunity to be, uh, leaders mm -hmm. we have opportunity to be people of character mm -hmm. and within that we can take the leadership opportunity instead of waiting for the legal obligation to do what's right right and while you're sitting at home find some hobbies right which is the actual conversation we're having yeah um, you sort of went off on a little soapbox there sorry. which is totally fine but the point was hobbies yeah <laughs> i got you started on the uncompromising yes. lifestyle sorry <laughs> right so within hobbies th that is the leadership opportunity that we can take the opportunity that we can take in this moment is actually really exciting to me yeah um, i'm the obviously this scenario is uh, terrible terrible it's sad it can you know if you think about it too much you will become like anxiety ridden and mm -hmm. depressed i think that we need to challenge ourselves and others to know that if we are in quarantine, if we're doing making these steps and to do the the, the, the best, we there's not much we can do about this right. except for stay at home, which feels like nothing. Nothing. Um, it does feel so, you do feel a little useless, I think, which is how I felt the first uh, five days we were in quarantine. I just felt kind of useless, you know. But I do think that finding ways to make yourself feel useful is great. And right. one of those ways is hobbies, you know, do something that you've been wanting to do for years, but you just quote unquote, don't have the time because mm -hmm. you have it now that there's no options. You have it now. So, I mean, I just think like if you've been wanting to rearrange the furniture in your home, do it, do it now. You've got mm -hmm. time, you know, uh, not, I don't really suggest shopping online for hours at a time, but I mean, make a mood board and like figure it out. Like th there's just so many ways to be creative. Bake some food if you have extra stuff in your cabinets or read a really great book because nobody, there, there's not enough people who are reading. I'm, I know that. <laughs> so find a great book, read it, read the classics that you have always wanted to be reading. Um, I mean, I have read three books. I'm on my third book in the last like three days. So mm -hmm. <laughs> there's that. And then I just feel like, um, well, not that it's quite easy to have a musical instrument if you don't have one already, but you can find some musical instruments available. Amazon's still delivering stuff. Not that I promote Amazon, but I'm just saying dire times, you know? So I don't know. There's just so many things that you can be doing to like, I don't know, be better. Like you're just not going to be worse for teaching your brain a new language. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's just not going to make it worse. So you should just do it. Right. Um. So within that, that was where I was ending up. But what I, what I was trying to say before was that um, I just want to make sure that it doesn't sound as though we are um, in any way minimizing the uh, pandemic itself. Absolutely not. In that it, it is, it is an anxiety and it is something that is real. Um, Can I but I think a... we should challenge ourselves to, as we are indoors and we are doing these things that we do not fall into paying attention to it every waking moment. There is nothing 
wrong with you. There's also nothing immoral um, by only looking at the day's news once a day. Yeah. Can I read a quote from Kurt Vonnegut real quick that I think sort of speaks to this? Um, it was It's uh, the last paragraph of the last speech that he ever gave before he died. Um, and he is not talking about any pandemic. He's talking about life itself. But he said, and how should we behave during this apocalypse? We should be unusually kind to one another, certainly. But we should also stop being so serious. Jokes help a lot. And get a dog if you don't already have one. I myself just got a dog, and it's a new crossbreed. It's a half it's half French poodle and half shih tzu. It's a shit poo. <laughs> and I thank you for your attention, and I'm out of here. And that's the last bit of the speech he the last speech he ever wrote which i think is just so poignant to what you're saying like Mm -hmm. it's not about um minimizing what's happening but it's about the fact that we are only human Mm -hmm. and like we can only handle so much so reading the updates once a day is enough Mm -hmm. you know and laughing is still okay which i think is evident by all the memes that are happening on twitter you Mm -hmm. know like there's not anything wrong with you know, still bettering yourself in a time that is not good, you know, like there's truly nothing wrong with it. And in fact, is what makes everything better. Like we will be better after this is over because we bettered ourselves in the meantime, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just, I just thought that's a really helpful, it speaks to, that quote speaks to what you're trying to say, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is, one, just a phenomenal quote, and yes, does wrap up exactly what I was trying to say. Um, into the hobbies, um, Sarah has basically already said it all. My own two cents to add to it would just be do hard things. Um, yeah. It, it is evident. That is one thing that Cal Newport talks about in digital minimalism a lot. Just shows Just shows so much evidence that life fulfillment is um, directly um, correlated or not even correlated. Like it is proven Mm -hmm. like that whenever the studies are done, that doing hard things leads to a more satisfied life because for some reason in our brain, when we're doing things with our hands, we're doing what is hard and we are like actually like learning things. It just ignites who we are as humans. Like it actually recaptures our humanness Mm -hmm. instead of our, you know, cyborgness like that we have right now, we are all part machine because Mm -hmm. we have given so much of our autonomy away to machines that when we reclaim that, when we live counterculturally and we actually do hard things, these hard things um, greatly impact our mental health Mm -hmm. to the point where we realize we would rather be less cyborgs and more human. Right. And um, I mean, one thing that I decided to do is learn a musical instrument because I've always wanted to learn a musical instrument, um, since I was a kid, but I've never had the discipline to do it because mm-hmm. a musical instrument, like Sarah was saying, we're so concerned with what money we're going to make out of doing things mm-hmm. and all growing up. The only things I stuck with hardcore were things that were going to be a part of my career. Mm-hmm. And I loved music. I loved being in bands. I was in like a few different bands whenever I was in high school. But And um, so music has always been something I've loved. But I mean, I know I'm not a musical artist, capital A artist. Right. I will never be someone who learns my musical skills and then goes out and performs them for money. Right. And so that has kept me from spending the 
many hours. Right. It feels like a waste of time. Right. It can feel like a waste of time. Yeah. And so I have never done it, but I, my perspective has shifted. The way I think about life has shifted. The way I think about hobbies has shifted to now I've decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn a musical instrument. Um, so I bought a ukulele and I am committed basically to making that something for me that is my like personal thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like something I do to one challenge myself, learn a new skill, learn a new craft to Mm -hmm. use that language. Um, but also within that, it's also musical therapy for myself because it's something that I get to, you know, I, I am allowed this space to contemplate and allowed this space to just be right fully present in a moment of not doing something for money, not doing something for accolades, not doing something for likes, just doing. Right. As my friend said, it is of every consequence if it makes your heart happy. Yes. That's it. Also, I think it can be intimidating to start new things just because it's like the Ira Glass quote of allowing yourself to be a beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be scary to be a beginner because you're going to suck. That's just the truth. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to be able to pronounce the French language that you're learning correctly. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just not going to be able to. But you will never be able to if you don't start learning it now. So, right. I mean, just it's it's intimidating to start, but I don't know. It yeah. is of every consequence to yeah. do it. So I know that conversation was a little bit scattered. Um, the... To wrap up, I think I would highly suggest picking up the book um, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport if you're interested in more in-depth because I know that this this podcast you just listened to, you're not going to go away from this podcast with the skills or more so the tools necessary to successfully become a digital minimalist because I did not share like even – Close. Close to the, you know, information that he gives and more so the practices he gives in order to be successful at becoming a digital minimalist. Minimalist. Um, so uh, I'm sorry, Cal, for not doing your book justice in an hour-long <laughs> podcast. Um, so I would highly suggest that you pick up Digital Minimalism if you're interested in that. Um, also, highly suggest uh, figuring out what is a hard hobby mm-hmm. that you can do during this time so that you can learn a skill that where at the you know, there, there are these things, like Sarah said, at the end of your life, whenever you look back in, in retrospect, you're like, do you want to say, oh, yeah, I passively watched my whole life go by? Right. Or you're I've like, seen The Office 12 times. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like as, as much like enjoyment that has, what actual value does that have in the grand right. scheme of your personal, you know, life and enjoyment? And I feel like if you at that, you know, on your deathbed, whenever you're like, I can I know I know multiple languages I you know can play guitar all of those things were yes on your technical life resume at the end but that's not the point right point is that those things brought you so much enjoyment on the way right um that I think that in so much more enjoyment than any passive activity can do mm-hmm. um right but so uh another thing that Cal talks about in the book that I didn't even touch on at all within context of him saying it is he talks about spending time alone, um, which we did touch on, um, you know, in in our personal opinions, but Cal, uh, he backs that up Mm -hmm. with again, scientific and anecdotal evidence. Um, and also that historical evidence, Uh um, because 
you know, we've talked about on the podcast um, about quiet and solitude, you know, in chunks before. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently read Walden, which we talked about, but in digital minimalism, he talks about um, Walden again. I feel like yeah, I, I mean, read Walden and then it keeps showing up in every book that I'm reading. And it's just like people well, quote him, probably quote him, because quote him. we're so uh, deprived that yes. everyone's looking for answers and right. where do you find them right. in the poets and philosophers? Yes, we actually are in a, in a uh, an era of solitude deprivation mm-hmm. where it is not that we find little time for solitude. It is that we are in a society now where we are not allowed any time for mm-hmm. solitude. So we're in a time of solitude deprivation. And within that, um, this is a quote from Henry David Thoreau coming from his book, Walden, that I would like to end the podcast with. Um, Walden says, sorry, Henry David Thoreau says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn from what it had to teach and not, whenever I come to die, discover that I had not lived. Yeah, that is actually one of my favorite throw quotes <laughs> yeah so the encouragement for all of us mm-hmm. as um in this week's podcast is to do exactly that to go out there do the hard things do the things that are countercultural, do the things that do compromise our lifestyle mm-hmm. um so that when we reach the end of our life we know that we truly lived exactly we'll see you next week bye